If you'll open up your Bibles or turn them on to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, we're in this series right now called Finding Peace. I know that all the moms would be in agreement that one of the things that you desire for your family is that you'll have peace in your family. Well, Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, the peacemakers are blessed for they will be called sons of God. And so we looked at that last week that as a believer, I am to be a peacemaker, I am to live with blessing, and I am to know that I am a child of God, and because of that, I can live for peace rather than <clears throat> rather than conflict. Well, in this series, we're seeking to answer this question. How can I be a peacemaker rather than a peace breaker? How can I be a peacemaker rather than a peace breaker? One of the things that we're doing in the series is we're asking you to submit photos that convey to you peace. You can email those photos to office at murphychurch.com, and each week we will select one that will be our sermon logo for the week. Well, John Fletcher submitted this photo. This was taken just a couple weeks ago after the rain, and it conveys to us the peace that often comes after a large storm. Well, in James chapter 4, we have a, a fairly meaty passage. This is one of those that as you work through it, you often have to really think and, and really wrap your mind around it. You may need to read it several times throughout the course of this week during your devotional time. But it, it asks us a very pointed question at the beginning. In James 4 and verse 1, here's the question. What is the source of wars and fights among you? And then he answers the question with another question. Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? And then he begins to explain what he means. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your evil desires. Now, let's create a scenario here. Let's say that you volunteer for one of these uh, reality shows where you are dropped out in the middle of nowhere, and then you've got to survive for however long. And so let's say you volunteer. And so they drop you out in the Rocky Mountain wilderness. And there you are with some noted survivalist, Betty Westbrook. Uh, Amy, pa- uh, Amy Baggett, Kathy Ponzio, I mean, people that Carmen Bailey, Julie Washburn, Ione Wise, Lindsay Aday. I mean, you're out there with these noted survivalists. Together, they have survived 150 years of motherhood, and you're out there in the wilderness with them to see how long you can survive. Well, one of the things that you're going to discover right off the bat is that during the day, it's going to be very, very hot. At night, it's going to get cold. You're not going to have off-insect repellent, and so the bugs are going to drive you crazy. There's not running water. You do not have Fios TV. (gasps) There's not even iPhone out there in the wilderness. And so uh, shortly after you arrive, within the first 24 hours, you're going to begin to discover cravings 
that you don't normally have. When you have all these things like food, water, and shelter, uh, you don't necessarily crave them all the time, but when they're taken away very quickly, they become the top cravings of your soul. I've got to get food. I've got to get water. I've got to get shelter at night. I need fire. Now, let's say that over time, you were able to acquire all these things, and so you began developing a society. Everybody had those basic needs met, and you continue living out there in the wilderness. Over time, you're going to begin having cravings that go a little deeper, soulful cravings, cravings of the heart. You're going to desire freedom so that you might have some type of choice within your life. You're going to desire love so that you do not feel alone. You're going to want family. You're going to want a relationship. You're going to desire education so that you have greater knowledge and that with that greater knowledge, you will have more ability. You're also going to desire some things. You might desire money or power, various items that make your life more easy. Over time, as you age, you'll start desiring security so that you can hold on to all these things. And these natural cravings are part of being human. One of the cravings that will also develop is that you have a craving for worship. As human beings, we have this basic craving within us that desires to worship. And even if you go into the deepest jungles in continents far, far away, you find that they still have this basic desire to worship. Now, for our survivalist, the heart is going to determine whether they're able to live together in peace or conflict. You see, if we pursue our heart cravings with selfish, fleshly desires... The passage here in the Bible teaches us this. We'll have fights. We'll have wars. There will be disappointment. That which we want, we will not get. We will have an unquenchable desire. We will covet things that do not belong to us. In fact, we may even boost ratings on the show because we'll feel like killing one another. And so instead of just being a survivalist show, it'll be a survivor slash murder mystery show, and everybody likes that. So in verse 4, I better move on. In verse 4, James uses a very powerful word. He says, adulteresses. Now, what is he talking about here? He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason that the Scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealousy, jealously, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, make note of this. If you don't catch Anything else in the sermon today, I want to make sure that you catch this. Conflict begins in the heart. Conflict begins in the heart. Now, so often we think that the source of the conflict is the event, whatever we're fighting over. But the real source of the conflict is within us. Now, you cannot control how anybody else acts. 
acts. Other people will act in ways that they shouldn't. And you can't control how they act. But you can control how you act. And realize this, that the root of conflict comes from within. A selfish heart, a combative heart leads to conflict. Now this can come in all sorts of different forms. Maybe you have a prideful heart. And as a prideful person, you think that that you're better than others. And so whenever someone tries to correct you, you become defensive. You become very argumentative. It's all about you. A combative heart is a selfish heart. It's one that wants your own way. And so when you can't get your own way, you'll argue, you'll nag, you'll whine, you'll lie, you'll throw tantrums, you'll do whatever you can to get your own way because selfishness is fueling you. A combative heart might be greedy. You're never content. And so you're always complaining. You're wanting things that belong to others. And if given opportunity where you don't think you'll get caught, you'll even take things that don't belong to you. A selfish, combative heart is sometimes fearful. You're worried about what other people think all the time. And so you never take a stand. Maybe you have an inordinate obsession with vanity because you're always fearful about what others might say or think about you. Sometimes a combative heart takes root from a self-pity where we want others to feel sorry for us. And so we pout and we whine and we throw pity parties and from that comes fights and quarrels. Sometimes it's an envious heart. We want what other people have. We're not satisfied with our family. We want another family. We're not satisfied with our spouse. We want somebody else's spouse. We're not satisfied with our job or our bank account. We want somebody else's bank account. And so we're envious, and that leads us to be combative. Sometimes it's a lazy heart. We've reached a point where we refuse to take responsibility. We don't want to work. We want to spend our time blaming everybody else for our problems. And from that lazy heart comes conflict. Sometimes it's a jealous heart. We become afraid. We're afraid of losing love. And so as a result... We manipulate those that we love. And we get angry when people that we love spend time with others. And it's causing fights and problems within your relationships. Well, James is teaching us here that these selfish, combative cravings will lead you to fight and quarrel amongst yourself. Now, we should expect that people who do not know the Lord are going to often be in conflict with one another because ultimately they're just following their heart and their heart is going to be geared towards selfishness. But when God transforms your soul, when you bow the knee and you become a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit invades your life, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things are passed away. All things become new. And when God invades your soul, He transforms your heart. And so James, up in your face, and that's kind of how James rolls. James says that for a Christian, To have a combative heart that is full of worldly lust and desire 
He says that's spiritual adultery. Why? Why would this be spiritual adultery? Well, because you're trying to fulfill the cravings of your soul with earthly answers rather than than spiritual answers. You're being guided by your own selfishness rather than the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it comes down to worship. If you're a note taker, make note of this. You reflect what you worship. Over time, you come to reflect what you worship. Now, for many, we worship ourselves. Whenever you worship yourself, then you're always wanting in your life the glory. And so you're wanting the cheers. You're wanting the encouragement from your peers. You live your life for the promotion, for the compliment. You want the glory to yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting a promotion at work. There's nothing wrong with wanting to score the winning touchdown and and, and being the, the hero of the game. But ultimately, you need to realize this, that if you worship yourself, you're never going to have peace. Why is that? Because the glory that we receive here on earth always fades. You cross the finish line first, and in doing so, you win the district track meet for your team, and the crowd goes wild, and the team puts you up on their shoulders, and they put that gold medal around your neck, and for a moment, you are the hero, but then the crowd goes home, and everybody forgets about what you did. The glory that you had fades, and then you're just left with isolation. And so then you once again have to do something to receive the glory. And you find yourself on this never-ending treadmill because you're, you're living for glory to yourself. And as soon as you receive it, it fades. And so you can never really find the peace that you're wanting because the glory is always fading. Sometimes within Christianity, we subtly worship ourselves. Now stick with me on this. Sometimes in Christianity, we ride what I call the God train. And so we embrace Jesus, and we are embracing Jesus because we think that by following Christ, He will take me to my preferred destination. Now this is subtle, because this type of worship comes to church. It has morals. It has a big fish on the back of the minivan. Mercy Me is on the iPod. But if you break it down, the goal is this. I worship God so that He will take me where I want to go, and ultimately, I am the object of my worship. I'm riding the God train so that Jesus will take me someplace. Jesus is not a vehicle to take you to your preferred destination. Jesus is your destination. And when Christians ride the God train, they always, always, always bring conflict into the church because they're coming to church for themselves. Church for them is about me and my glory rather than coming to church to truly worship the God of the universe. Well, sometimes we worship the wrong thing as God. We know in our own mind, I'm not God. And so because we have this basic craving to worship, it starts coming out somewhere. 
A lot of people worship Mother Nature. Some people worship politics. Some people worship peace itself. Uh, Some people worship a modified version of God. They've taken the revelation of God and they've twisted them somehow so that they like that God and that becomes their God. For some people, they worship an athlete. Maybe Tom Brady is your God. That's always a deflating premise whenever you worship an athlete. Maybe you worship a singer or maybe you worship your spouse or your family or your children. This is a vicious cycle. Because whenever your faith is in temporary things, they will satisfy you for a moment, but then they will fade in time. Well, James begins to give us some answers in verse 7. He says, therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Now here James gets to the heart of the matter. And he teaches us several things about how we can satisfy the combative cravings of your heart. The first thing that he teaches us is to submit to God, but to resist the devil. Submit to God, but resist the devil. Now, this is a military term. It means to fall into rank. Ultimately, we have to realize that we are not God, but then there's another step that you need to take here. Not only do you realize that you are not God, but you begin to realize I'm not even the star of the show. God's the star of the show. One of the things that will will jumpstart your spiritual growth is if you will make this flip. Instead of Christianity being about how can I create a better me and I kind of embrace Christianity as self-help with a twist of Jesus, Christianity becomes about how can I submit my life so that my life brings glory to God. Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, says that one of the great principles to being an effective peacemaker is that in any conflict, your goal is to bring glory to God. So whatever trouble you are going through, again, realizing this, you cannot control the other person. They will sometimes make foolish decisions. They will say hurtful things. You can't control the other person, but you can seek that in whatever conflict you're involved in, that you want to try to act and speak, that you want, you desire, that glory be brought to God through the conflict. Submit to God. Secondly, James teaches us in verse 8, draw near to God, and then he says, and he will draw near to you. So begin seeking the Holy Spirit, begin seeking the wisdom of God, draw near to Him, and as you draw near to Him, God draws near to you. And He begins changing your way of thinking. Now, in verses 8 and 9, you see some some difficult passages, but ultimately what James is getting at here is repentance. 
Repentance uh, comes from a Greek word, metoneo. It means to change your mind or your way of thinking. The Old Testament word is shuv. It means to change your will. And so as we draw near to the Holy Spirit, He changes our thinking. He changes our will so that we no longer have this double-minded allegiance where on one hand we are trying to live part of our lives God's way and then on the other hand we're trying to live a lot of our lives the world's way. James says understand this, God wants the totality of your faith. He doesn't just want you on Sundays. He wants you. He wants you to place your faith totally in Him and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you draw near to Him, He begins changing your thoughts and your desires. So instead of these combative, selfish desires fueling your behavior, your heart begins being filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those fruits begin to take root in your life, and when those fruits begin to grow in your heart, you begin finding the peace of God flowing in your life. Finally, in verse 10, James says, Humble yourself before God, and He will exalt you. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is teaching, and He describes that you're going to this fancy wedding dinner. Well, in Jesus' day at the wedding dinner, there would be all sorts of seats of prominence. These were the the places that, that people wanted to be. And so Jesus said, whenever you go to that wedding dinner, you're going to see all these people vying for the seats of prominence. But you, you don't go after that. Instead, take the lesser position and allow the host to come to you and exalt you. Now, as you break down the life of Jesus, this is how he lived. Jesus lived with an incredible humility. And it is from that humility that he is exalted above all others. Jesus came as a baby. He was raised poor. He left his home. He lived his adult life without a home. Whenever he wanted to teach his disciples about leadership, he washed their feet. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he bent his will to the Heavenly Father's will. And on Calvary, he laid down his life for those that he loved. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to embrace the same attitude that Jesus embraced. And then he describes what that attitude looked like. He says, Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And it's for this reason that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
All your life, you've been trying to satisfy the cravings of your soul. Satisfy those cravings that are within your heart. And you've tried all sorts of different things. You thought family would bring you the peace that you wanted. You fell in love. You met a, per, a, a good person. You've had children, but you still don't have the deep-seated peace that you're longing for. You thought maybe religion will do it, and so you hopped aboard the God train. He'll take me where I want to go, and then I'll have peace. And yet you, feel fine, you still find yourself disturbed within You thought, maybe I'll find it an enjoyment. And so you lived for the adrenaline rush and you had these moments where you could forget all about your problems and just live for the fun. And then you kept waking up and realizing that your problems were still there. You thought, I'll embrace it through security and I'll find peace by making my life really, really secure. And I'll build the largest gun collection in Texas and I'll eliminate risk and then I'll have peace. And yet you still don't have it. I'll collect stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll get a bigger house, I'll get that new car, I'll get those cute shoes, I'll get that peaceful deer lease. No, you're not wearing the cute shoes, guys, and the peaceful deer lease. But you thought to yourself, then, then I'll have peace. You thought to yourself, I'll find it in money. I'll make lots and lots of money, I'll, 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 I'll have a big bank account, and then I'll have peace. But no matter what you have achieved, and you've achieved quite a bit. We look at your life's resume and you've done some things, but no matter what you've achieved, you've never been able to satisfy the cravings of your soul. And spiritually, you find yourself in the middle of the wilderness and spiritual food, water, and shelter are nowhere to be found. And you find yourself in fights, in quarrels, longing for peace. The Scriptures today give us some answers. They're tough. They're not instant fixes. They're things that are going to take a while. But God says, come to me and submit to me. Draw near to me. And as you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And I will change you from the inside out. The Scriptures teach us today to humble ourselves and let God become our spiritual food, water, and shelter. And let His wisdom flow from within our hearts so that we see the world differently and we love people as He loves them. And it's whenever we draw near to God and submit ourselves to Him and allow Him to change us, that's when life quits becoming this continual fight. And the peace that has been so elusive throughout your whole life is finally found. And you begin to realize what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in singing. You can sing with them. If you desire to spend this time in prayer, you can pray. I'll be here at the front if I may help you with anything. It is my joy. It may be that today is the day where you need to find the ultimate peace in your life. You need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
And if that's where you are, I would love, I would love to talk with you and encourage you in that decision. You can leave here today knowing that you are a child of God. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we acknowledge that within our lives there are, there are some complexities that are difficult for us to overcome. Father, there's things that we want, things that we crave. And Lord, sometimes we find ourselves acting in ways that later on we're ashamed that we acted that way. Sometimes we say words that are hurtful. Sometimes we harbor attitudes that are selfish. Lord, we realize that we can't control other people, but Lord, sometimes we are the source of the conflict. And we pray for your forgiveness. We pray that we might humbly submit ourselves before you, open our hearts to your work. We pray, Lord, that we might draw near to you. And we know that as we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. And so, Father, we look for those opportunities that you bring to our lives where you exalt us and put us in positions of opportunity so that we might bring greater glory to your name. And we pray that you will help us to live our lives for the glory of our Heavenly Father. And may we see you do things in our lives and through our lives that causes us to stand in amazement. Father, I pray for families, for marriages, for communities, for schools. I pray, Lord, that we might have peace in our world that flows from within. In Jesus' name.